Hello and welcome to Annersbrook Church. We hope that this message from our lead pastor, Graham Hislop, both empowers and encourages you. To hear more from our church, make sure you subscribe or visit our website at annersbrook.co.nz for a service near you. It's the first time in church we've ever talked about this issue in this way in church. Um, as it's actually an issue that we face every three years but for different reasons requires a different attention right now. The style of my um, delivery will be different today on purpose, okay? I, ge- I generally find it easy to wax lyrical. I, I find it no problem to talk generally and have a very um, drilled-in sense of what I want to say every time I get the honour and privilege of standing up here. But today's a little bit different because I want to be methodical in a sense so it may not be the most um, elaborate style of delivery, but we've got to talk about some stuff. So before we do, um, this series is called Value the Vote. This is part one. It's going to be probably three parts. Online as well, uh, have the same material as today too. Uh, we've pre-recorded some stuff for them. So uh, I would like to pray, okay? Father, I, we really need your help. I pray anything that shouldn't come out of my mouth would not, and uh, everything that should would. In Jesus' name, amen. For those who are old enough, do you remember the first time you ever got to vote? Do you remember it? I do. Um, I was very excited. I was, it was like a milestone, like getting my license or owning my first vehicle, um, which I never owned a vehicle. I borrowed my parents. But Rebecca, I married someone who had a vehicle and a house. <laughs> Gold digger. You know, like, that was awesome. <laughs> anyway, sorry. That's another topic. So um, anyway... So I, I was really excited about it. And this is sort of what I remember about it. I would have been 18. I think the, the league wage was 18. You go to an old school hall like a, or an old church hall. Um, you ask to give your name to a librarian-type personality because they've got a ruler and they rule through your name, don't they? And, they, and it reminded me a lot of um, school and getting detentions. And um, then you walk over to a booth made of cardboard like a per, personal science fair display isn't it? And then you have to make your selection with giant felt pens back then. I don't know if it's still that way, but first a party vote, which was ironic because it felt nothing like a party. <laughs> uh, and, then you, and then you've got the candidate vote, so the local uh, representation. And, and what was my strategy, I hear you asking? I can hear it loud and clear. Well, at 18, I basically um, ticked the logo that I thought looked the coolest. And that's not a great strategy. It was only that time. And after I started taking some, after that, I actually started taking quite a bit of interest in politics. I have a, um, for a little while, I stopped doing it, but I used to watch, for a while I had Tuesdays off um, as a day off during the week, and I watched uh, the parliamentary speeches. Nerdy and negative, so I stopped it. But um, I actually, um, I, I, I did get pretty interested. And then you get to election night, right? You check the results, throw MMP into the mix. And you wonder at times, what is the point in this? Like, what difference does it make, really? Well, today we're going to talk about the point of it, because it's more pointy than you might realize. Um, Some people here might be thinking, the church, I'm not sure the church should be talking about politics. I don't know, they should be talking about it. And I would say, I feel you, because in the past, the church, not so much our church, our church has more or less tried to stay silent because of this issue. Um, Not tried to stay silent in a negative, but just not being proactive because churches end up telling people what to do. And we're not going to tell you what to do today. 
Um, in fact, my aim is not to mention even one political party by name, which some of you are gonna be gutted, you wanna leave now. You, you wanted a bit of a circus fight, didn't you? Um, but um, what, what, what church, and then, and then if they can't do that, what they do is they organize themselves around another agenda to try to get specific people into parliament. But that's not the point either when it comes to what should be going. In fact, if you think the church should have no part in politics, then you've got to rip out any part of the Bible that has Joseph in it, Moses in it, Joshua in it, Daniel in it, all the prophets, minor and major, David, Solomon, John the Baptist, that got political, Jesus himself, Peter, Paul, Timothy, they all stood up to powers and rulers contending for another rule and another power. So if, if we, we buy into this ideology that the church should not go here, touch this, you could be right. There could be parts of it that we shouldn't have gone to. So we're gonna do our very best in this series not to go there. But if you are a Christ follower, then you are in attention. If you, if you remember anything else, it's gonna be that today. If you are a Christ follower, you are living in tension. What is a Christian? It's probably a really good thing to just remind ourselves. Okay, first of all, we know it's someone who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of Tense, okay? And in that belief, a Christian has found forgiveness through repentance, okay? So that in acknowledging there is a God and that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that realizing your own humanity and the guilt of that humanity through conscience, through understanding that, you've come to a point of repentance to receive forgiveness from Christ. A new creation process has begun. It's unfolding, it's a beautiful thing. It will unfold for the rest of your days into eternity. And then, of course, we'll spend eternity in heaven. And that's about where the New Zealand Christian worldview has ended in the last 20 years. Before that, it was not the total view, but in the last 20 years, that's it. But alas, people, there is more. If you're a Christian, you're also learning how to be loyal to a new king. Did you hear that a little bit? If you're a Christian, you're learning how to be loyal to a new king. And how did he become your king? Well, not through your permission. It was through his work on the cross was his inauguration to take his kingdom from heaven and whack it here on earth. And what he's been doing ever since is growing that kingdom out life by life, one person at a time, yours and mine included. But your loyalty to that king is because of that gracious and forgiving and new covenant and new creation work that he's done in your heart. It's a beautiful thing. Second of all, well, this is really fifth, isn't it? But because of our loyalty to Christ and because he's becoming our king, right? We're now learning how to live by his value system. This is what it means to be a Christian. John 14, 23, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. He put love in the first step. Grace comes before truth, always. Jesus Christ, Moses came. Um, the law came through Moses, John. Book of John says, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace always precedes truth because if you get whacked in the face with truth hard enough, you'll think there's no hope. But if you know that you'll be accepted and then led into the truth, you'll be transformed. So, so if anyone loves me, you'll obey, he'll obey my teaching. My father will love them and he'll come to them and make his home with them. And then finally, the last part of being a Christian, what a Christian actually means is that while we are here, we are sojourners on this um, earth. Our citizenship is in heaven because our king is in heaven, the value system we live by. But now our aim is to live that out and actually respectfully and quietly, by the way, without too many placards if you can get away with it, okay, on this earth, believing that through your life and doing that in partnership with him, his kingdom would expand. That's what it means to be a Christian. 
Not that if you get hit by a bus tonight, where are you gonna go? It's a good question and still worth asking. The other question is, why buses, you know? <laughs> why not minivans with small children in it? Because we drive one and it's dangerous at times. I digress. So, so that's the tension, guys. And if you only feel that tension every three years, something's wrong. If you only feel that when it comes to the voting booth, we've gone awry. Rewind a few elections ago, I'd been starting to feel tensions rising. Some things that in our country that have been going on in the moral world and the legal framework that I started feeling uneasy about for some time, not just recently. But because we've got an instruction in Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And because we'd had a generation before us um, or a legalistic edge anyway, they weren't a full generation, who felt the best way to transform society was to judge it, not leaving the judging up to God and the convicting up to the Holy Spirit. We were, the after effects were, we don't know what to say. Am I speaking on anyone's behalf here? We're not sure what to post because my neighbour might be watching and I do not want to give them the wrong impression about God. So, so, so I'd, 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 I'd understood that, I'd felt that, you know, I'd rather be known for what I was for rather than what I was against. And then the school holidays happened, just the last school holidays. The convo that I never thought would happen, happened. We were actually on holiday, uh, spending some time away. And when we're on holiday, we happened to bump into someone who was staying with a very senior member of parliament. Okay, so they were holidaying where we were holidaying. And we happened to go around to chat and meet and greet. And I'm just trying to broaden the context so there's not too much like contextually going on. But anyway, we walked in and there was a convo and we happened to be holidaying. It's the first time we've ever done it, but we holidayed with Brent and Viv, so in the, in the um, holidays. So Brent and I were in there and we were chatting. And then the person who happened to know this senior MP said, um, because they, they might've felt like it was a good opportunity as well, like on, from the outside looking in, you'd think, well, here's a couple of pastors, so um, why don't you have a chat? So the senior member of parliament one of the, in one of the major New Zealand uh, parties um, was asked by this person that we knew, hey, tell them about Christianity and politics. Now, I have had conversations with people about this and there's a couple of train of thoughts that norm normally come in, but with this gentleman, I would have never expected it. Just not how I would have seen the thought pattern going. There was no funny intro. I was actually totally unprepared. You'd sort of normally hear this line of conversation on websites or people with extreme views. But here's how it went, okay? You guys need to wake up. You guys need to speak up. And you guys need to pray. And I was like, hold up. Is this a conspiracy theory website? And I, like, seriously. Because you get that stuff. And a lot of it's founded on half-truths and baloney. But this person it was not really built their career or their impact on that. So I'm listening and, and, and the question was asked, why? Well, for a long time, extreme left liberal politics, and I'll refer again, do you wanna call it as it is, extreme left, not center left or leftish, extreme left, okay, has been in the world. And in fact, biblically, I would suggest that we see it first in Cain and Abel. Because one takes, right, one, one gives uh, to serve, and the other takes for personal gain.
But the issue this MP pointed out was that while this had always been the case, and ever since they were in politics, that in the last number of years, this group has been gaining momentum and scope. There was evidence to suggest much of the legalization being pushed through isn't just based on reason, um, clear arguments, but on an agenda to remove God from society. You can be conspiracy on that or not, but that is what this person is saying in front of us. Now, I shouldn't have been so surprised because Paul wrote in Ephesians 6 that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against authorities, rulers, powers of the dark world, and spiritual forces. And what was shocking to me was that someone who hasn't been on the fringe of politics and the conspiracist kind of pockets broke rank and spoke to the core of the issue that I've been thinking about. And not only that, but he told us a number of politicians have been praying together. And in fact, before um, Parliament meets for sitting days, this group gets up at 5 a.m. and walks around Parliament praying. They're so concerned about the ideologies that are coming in, uh, that are going on, the systematic um, breaking down of moral and legal um, framework. So you can just imagine, I'm on flipping holiday. You know, it's meant to be a holiday. And I'm walking out and I turn to Brent and I'm going, I just said, my gosh, that was intense. And he goes, it was. <laughs> and then on the, on the walk back from where we would talk with them to where we were staying, we basically said, we need to speak up. We at least need to have a conversation. By the way, I'm not exactly sure how I'm going to speak up yet. I still don't know to this moment right now. I actually don't. Because there's some issues that people are going to ask me about that, that if I give them the, because I said so, or because... God doesn't like it, then those things may be true, but they need careful thought. But I'm at least at the point where we need a conversation about it. Because you may not be aware of, this, aware of this, or you may be, but listen carefully now. New Zealand was founded on principles and values of the kingdom of God in its early inception. Nearly in every sector you can read and learn. If you don't believe me, go read. In education, it was the Christians who promoted and progressed reading, not as a, sk a skill for the elite, the elite had, because they did, but that every person could gain knowledge and read the words especially of God. I don't know if you know that. In health, it was Christians who believed in the progress of medicine being accessible to everyone. It was Christians who formed the first universities. It was called Unity and Diversity. They broke away, of course, as many would know, um, out of the Catholic um, regime back when. But they began to say, look, there's not only evidence on earth, but there's evidence in science that proves the reality of God. So university was actually created by believers. I don't know if you know that. The first Christians, it was, who helped bring through women's rights. It was Christians, it was believers. They were all equal, men and women, Greek and Jew. There's, there's no difference. It was Christians who helped bring through civil rights and race um, relations. I mean, Martin Luther King Jr. in the States was a Baptist pastor. And he, along with another group of devout Christians living by the value system of the kingdom, brought what they felt would be a reformation. And of course, we're seeing the upheaval of, again. It was believers, this is gonna shock you, who formed both parts of the major New Zealand political parties to form equality and opportunity for all, for those who would go far to the left or far to the right, they were trying to bring Christ in the middle. 
not, not two ideologies as we know it being knitted, but the kingdom values. It was believers who took special care of the poor and the needy. So, so you look at all those values, they come from our king. Not the king of England, the king of heaven. And, and those values are in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountainside and he sat down. And his disciples came up to him and he began to teach them. And he said, now this is called the Sermon on the Mount, okay? Um, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they'll be filled. Blessed are the merciful, they'll be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. Do you think all this stuff just is for your devotionals? Do you just think you're like, well, the first 10 minutes of my three days a week or however often you do it, you'll be blessed and you'll be those things. Every area goes on for 12 and a half minutes if you read it. 12 and a half minutes. N.T. Wright doesn't call it his Sermon on the Mount. He calls it a manifesto for living because it deals with your relationship with God. It deals with your relationship with others. And lo and behold, it deals with how societies should be built. And in there are things about the poor and needy. And he went on to say this, the world will always fill the gap where the church has stopped taking responsibility. In some ways, guys, we've got the government and the politics that our nation deserves. It reflects the soul of our nation. It may not reflect the soul of the, soul of the kingdom or the ideals of the kingdom, but it reflects because we just vote for what we feel as though best represents us. And for 12 minutes, this thing goes on, how we stand before God, how we relate to people and how society should operate. And I think that's why we've been left out in the cold and we've been left out with a voice because for all intents and purposes, we've been losing our values. Not all of you in the room, probably barely any of you in the room, but you know that God doesn't consider just this church to be the total sum total of the earth, right? Like, like, if anything, we're here to pastor a city. Not me and Beck and Brent and Verve and the others. I'm talking about us as a church. We have a responsibility in the place that God puts us. For all intents and purposes, it was my parents' generation who lived by values. They were after, they were boomer generation, after a generation who did go to war. And boy, um, uh, you would have seen the memes. I've seen the memes of those who stand on Gallipoli's edges or in World War I or those who stand in World War II ready to fight for their nation. And today the meme balances the little sooks, these boys who don't even want to get up early and, and tidy their rooms. It's real. Um, the, your word was your bond. You treated others as you wanted to be treated. Dignity and divinity went hand in hand. Then came my generation. We must have thought they were a little bit uptight, guys. Anyone my age? We must have thought, come on, guys, relax a bit. You know, get firewise. We just thought, we dabbled, we dabbled with a bit of values. We stood, still stood for values, but we also put a bit of consumerism in there. The only reason the shop stayed open crazy hours is because we put a demand on it to do that. And then the generation after me, they've gone first about what life can give you and what you can get, then they add values. Can you see what's happening? Okay, let's talk about my kids' generation. Are you ready for this? I hope you buckle up tight. Sociologists have said that their generation, my kids' generation, don't live by an explicit, explicit true north set of values. Their value system is feelings. Get ready for it. 
If it feels so, it is. If it, if it feels a certain way, and if it feels good, do it. And you need to speak your truth. Sounds so noble. Problem is, what is truth? Now, I cannot argue with you about truth because it's your truth. It's completely subjective to your feelings. You add to that what is the new wave of generation. Are you ready for this one? We've gone from values to values plus a bit of uh, consumerism to consumerism plus values to feelings. And you wanna add one more layer in that's happening right now. Are you ready? That the high call of life is to be popular, to be known and to be famous. And if you don't believe me, download TikTok. You won't be able to soon, but anyway, download it now while you can. And this is why, guys, that the underpinning of absolutes, we've still got an opportunity to turn the tide. Because some of us in the room still live by some absolutes. Some of us in the nation. Get these stats. You ready for this? Of the 3 million people who could vote, the last election, 700,000 less did vote. 2.3 or 2.2. Numbers vary. Of the 700,000 people that didn't vote, you ready for this one? 250,000 were professing believers. I mean, confusion, stupid, dumb, get a life. No, what's going on is the confusion of the value system. We don't know by what set of values we should live anymore. We don't know how to find a voice for it. We don't know what to do. And I just really believe, honestly, the strangest thing about my message today, some of you thought it was gonna be this. I am not blaming the politicians. As someone once said, honestly, it just really truly is a reflection of our soul. It's actually to the church and not just Annisbrook. It is time to wake up. It's not time to go back to the values of the 40s or the 50s or classic hits, wherever the ratio was. It's not to say one generation had it better than anyone because everyone needed grace. You know, even those who were living for the moral aptitude or the values, they still fell. They were still human. It is actually time for us to go back to the values of our king. You, at least today, a good outcome of today would be to go home this week and read, seriously read, trade a bit of Netflix time for Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and to read for yourself the values that your king is giving you to live. If you do not know them, it doesn't matter what happens every three years. It's gonna be a wild guess. It's just gonna be like, I don't know, I'm not sure. You listen to this. Proverbs 14.34, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. There's, there's a dichotomy that is going on. Jeremiah 29 verse seven, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. I mean, that's just a new covenant verse, isn't it? The kingdom of God has sent us as the ambassadors of the embassy. God has put us here for a reason. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. <laughs> Even Jesus acknowledged the tension today. Jesus said this when asked about paying taxes and they're trying to trap him and, and just all sorts of garbage. He said this, listen, it's pretty simple, isn't it? As citizens of heaven and having to live it out on earth, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. You need to know which is which. You need to know what is God's and you need to know what is Caesar's. And we are actually called as Christians to be the most respectful of the laws and of society 
But if a law is gonna get passed that a young generation only has feelings to interpret, we better have some other people stand up who have some other values going on. I've posted on social media about drug reform and I've been shocked at the amount of kickback I've got and how I rolled it out for you is pretty much the kickback. I get people saying, um, yes, absolutely, bad news. Marijuana, bad, 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 don't legalise it. And then on a sliding scale, you see the rest of it, which is basically that the younger generation answer, and I've had a couple of them who say, but it's not as bad as alcohol. Okay, well, yeah, we could like argue that one and we could talk about the effects of alcohol for sure. But did you know that right now, a equal proportion of traffic incidents in your own city actually happen by those who are high on marijuana, not just um, who, are, who have drunk too much? Did you know that? I, I get that there is a new generation who's kind of like, relax, man. They're doing it anyway. Sure. But if the righteous don't work out what to believe, they will affect a younger generation access and the floodgates will be open. And I might get tarred with the brush of saying I'm a prude because the fact of the matter is I've never tried marijuana. Not once. I was a guitarist learning music and one of my heroes was Jimi Hendrix until I found out that what part of his death and part of what happened was drugs. I just thought how stupid, so I never went near it. But there's others who haven't been as fortunate and they didn't go near it because they just wanted to destroy their lives. So, Christians and believers who walk out this morning going, right, I'm gonna go home. I'm gonna get one of those real estate signs, a can of Dazzle, and I'm going picketing down the main street. You have missed it. This is not actually about judging those who find themselves in places that you didn't, that we don't understand. This is where the church has got it wrong, that we start to judge and we condemn. Jesus said, don't judge, you yourself will be judged. But what we can do is speak up out of reason, out of wisdom, and out of discernment. It's the same reason as when they go, well, the end of life bill. By the way, next week we're gonna do work on both of those things and we're gonna talk about it. But the end of life bill, the argument is this. People need to die with dignity. I would say, tell that to the people who are driving down the highway and someone crosses the center line. How are you gonna get dignity in that? What are we trying to do? Sanitize everything. My mum died in November. And I was there for the majority of it and I was there after she died. She didn't have dignity. It was pretty horrible. But she told me before she died, she said this, I want to die with courage. See, there's something better. I don't even know if you can get dignity dying, to be honest. I don't, I don't actually know if it's possible. But here's something that every one of us can have if we want it. Authenticity. You can know whose you are, you can know why you are here, and you can certainly know where you're going next. That, my friends, is better than sanitizing the world. And if the righteous don't stand up and say, guess what, people, big surprise. It's God who actually organizes when you die. Like, what, what is this? We've, man, I'm starting to get very, uh, <laughs> sorry, hold on, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> sorry, I'm trying my best. We're paying millions of dollars to help people in drug addiction. We've got the highest teen suicide rate. The values of the kingdom have to start coming through. And the best way they come through is not by you placarding or you judging. Ready for this? It doesn't matter what happens every three years. It matters what you do every day. 
And if you and I live the kingdom every day, we're gonna impact the future generations. Yeah. And I encourage every parent, raise your family on values. Teach your children how to think in values. Open the Word of God and discover what they are. So here we go. We're gonna bring this thing in for a landing, okay? There are three ways people say that people traditionally vote. We'll bring up the first one. Number one, people vote through tradition. Well, my parents supported this party and that, that my grandparents supported this party and we've always been this party. And I would say to you that in a postmodern and a post, I nearly say, I don't know if it's right to say, truth society, I would say that is a really difficult filter to use anymore. Because what was founded on tradition has moved. As believers have just tried to make it to heaven, rather than try to get heaven to earth, the pendulum has swung. But there's that. Second is personal benefit. What that's about is I've got five children, and this year the government are going to bring through a massive tax break. So I'm going to turn my vote into what is beneficial. And by the way, there's lots of things at the moment that are COVID-related, got to have a lot of wisdom and discernment with what's going on right now that actually are not necessarily good for the future of our country. Even though it would benefit us right now, short-term pain for long-term gain. And, 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 but personal benefit is a big way people vote. I, I want this, and so that's how I'm going to vote. The third way is to everybody's disposal who wants to, but it's this, the alignment of values. In other words, Here is what I stand for. Here is what I believe. This is the way that I see the world and this is how I see my life. Now I will vote according to that. And I know what you're gonna say. Show me a party who can do that. We better form a Christian one. I'm not entirely sure anymore. Because the flippant Christian leaders of those, those parties end up, they've abused children and they haven't lived the way they should have lived. And I would say I'm not entirely sure that trying to bring Christianity into the state that way is necessarily where we're at. But you can align your vote to your values. And you can say this, which party comes closest? That's all you wanna ask. The other thing I wanna say is this, if you come to this year's election without having done some homework, some reading, well, you can be more responsible. There are great websites with where people have voted and where they've stood on issues. And I do know this other tension, which is, well, what's the point anyway? My one vote doesn't count. No, it's not like that. The result of what happens is in God's hands. But you must stand. You must stand for what you believe in. Not just on September, the whatever it is. You must stand today. You must be able to carefully walk the line of truth and grace. And, and we, we need to um, understand that. So you need to read Matthew 5, 6, 7. Everyone in this room, you need to do it. You need to go and study it. You need to go read it in the NIV and then you need to, New International Version. And then you need to read it in the Message Translation. And you need, for those who really wanna do this, write down in a column all the topics he deals with. And then you try and circle the ones that are really between you and God, you and people, and us and society. They're all there. But you know that what happens is when we do this is that we stand up to powers and principalities of darkness. We do John 16. That then the Holy Spirit comes and convicts the world of sin, righteousness and judgment. You're not meant to. Your life is meant to be so much salt and so much light that it 
is a pathway for the Holy Spirit to convict people of what is going on, sin. You know what the sin thing is in John 16? That, um, that Christ has died, that they believe not. That is the ultimate sin God sees in all of humanity, that you don't even realise there is a God. He created you. He loves you. You believe not. It doesn't even get into your behaviour. It deals with the core fundamental part of your existence. The second part is sin, judgment, uh, righteousness, excuse me, because Jesus has gone to be with the Father. In other words, out of that, the idea is that you have received a righteousness, you've received a position in Christ, which means you can live the values of the King without tying yourself up in knots and without becoming the most judgmental person out there. No one could do it. No one can make their way before God. We've received it by grace and we're living it out. Thirdly, judgment. There is gonna be a judgment, guys. And God came to bring the judgment to deal with the crap and the evil and the disgustingness that would need to be dealt with before everything became new in Revelation. So it's a sweeping cleanup. No person who lives in a mess doesn't want the house cleaned up at some stage. God has every right to clean this mess up. But what He wants is His precious children to come before the cleanup happens. And if you come, you are safe from judgment. So who's doing all this convicting? The Holy Spirit. But how does He do it? Read John 15, 16, 17 through our co-unity, through us being the family of God together, the way we treat each other, the way we love, the way we, the, the convictions we uh, live from and the value system we have. That is how the world gets convicted of sin, righteousness and judgment. And so I'm gonna finish today by saying the three things the senior MP said to me, and I'm praying right now that it gets under your skin. Number one, you need to wake up. If you, get, if you go from here and you start posting stuff on Facebook, okay, that's just hyper crazy and judgmental, I will reply on your post. Seriously. Our waking up has got to be different. Here it is, Psalm 100, you ready? For the Lord is good, His steadfast love endures forever. And I want you to get a generational view. We're about to finish. His faithfulness is to all generations. We need to wake up that there is a generation who's tried to carve away before us. There's our generation now still here, able to sow good seeds into society. And there is a generation yet to come. Wake up, people. Let's live the kingdom the best we can, full of grace, full of the Holy Spirit's help. You kind of, a couple of steps forward, a step back, it doesn't matter. Your goal is to bring the kingdom. We've got to wake up. Two, you need to find your voice. And I say that even before you even use your voice. Be very wise, be very careful, be very smart, be ready. People might hate you because of it. You've got to be prepared. You've got to think through these things. The best way you can find your voice quickly is to vote, to read, to learn. I pray for my kids and their kids that there was a group around them who, who found it. Thirdly, and this is the most important one of all. And it's why on August the 30th, it's a Sunday night, we've shifted our team night from September 20th to the August the 30th. For seven days, we are calling our whole church to prayer. Three, we need to pray. We need to wake up, we need to speak up, and we need to pray up. And you know, honestly, you can tick the right box, you can t live quietly and, and respectfully before all men and all that stuff. We need, our best work as believers has always been done on our knees. 
It's how Peter got out of prison, how an angel unlocked the door and he walked out. That's how supernatural stuff happens. I'm saying to you, there still is hope. Come on. Come on. There's, there's hope for our nation. There's a good crew over here who believe it. And Chanel, that's great. There is hope for our nation. Okay, I'll try it one more time because unless you believe that, we just need to get to heaven quickly. There is hope for our nation and we need to ask God to bring it. And that's what we're gonna do right now. Stand to your feet. We're gonna pray together. And um, I've got a couple of minutes. I know, I know it's home time and whatever that means, but not, not with this topic, it's not. We're not gonna open for ministry. We're not gonna do that stuff um, here in this format and setting today. In a moment, we're gonna pray together with one voice. And I'm gonna ask a couple of people who have not been warned about this to come up and pray. Now, now for those who are coming to pray, there was a story about Paul who spoke for an hour and a half and a kid fell out of a window and died. No, it was, he didn't pray. He didn't actually preach for an hour and a half. He spoke all night, okay? Unless you have the power to raise someone from the dead, don't pray that long. That's how I, sorry, is that a weird joke? <laughs> I, my caveat on preaching is kind of with that, you know? When I do, I, you'll know I'll be preaching longer. But um, I'm gonna ask some people to pray and we're gonna pray. We're gonna lift our eyes to God. We're not gonna hear prayers. We are gonna pray. But before we do that, we're gonna declare the song. And and it's We trust you enjoyed this message. And if you're wondering what the next step in your faith journey looks like, please get in touch. You can either visit our website or email us at info at annasbrook.co.nz.